Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Today is Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, Amy McGrath beats Charles Booker in the Kentucky Democratic primary. will give you the details. Vice President Joe Biden held a news conference today to lay out what, what Trump should do immediately to address coronavirus, but also he talked about Confederate statues and removing the names of racists. Police in riot gear pepper spray people at a peaceful protest for Elijah McClain in Aurora, Colorado. We'll show you exactly what took place. Netflix has dropped 100 million bucks into black-owned banks. Today, iHeartMedia has launched the Black Information Radio Network. Also, former President Barack Obama salutes the Negro Leagues as baseball players demand changes addressing racism. And they want the name of the first baseball commissioner and about racist removed from the MVP trophy. Terry Crews, he keeps getting roasted on Twitter and Instagram for comments that he's made, including one today. Terry Crews would join us right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And entrepreneur and Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban will talk politics, we'll talk COVID, and we'll also talk what companies should be doing in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. Folks, it's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss- 
Folks, go to, my, go to my iPad, please. This is the headline right now in the Louisville Courier-Journal. Kentucky U.S. Senate primary Amy McGrath squeaks, squeaks out win over Charles Booker. Folks, it, is, it was a race where Booker uh, was outspent, outgunned by Amy McGrath. Uh, she raised almost more than $40 million in this primary race. The Democrats in Washington, D.C. chose her as their pick, but it was State Representative Booker who came on strong in the final two months, three months, driven hard by the protests taking place in the aftermath of the shooting death of Breonna Taylor, as well as what was happening across the country. And man, she wins. McGrath wins 45% to 43% that Booker got. Now, of course, uh, the votes, it took this long because they had to count many of the ballots. And so if you go back uh, to the, um, go back to my iPad, please. And so the Associated Press called it for McGrath shortly after noon. She got 45.1% of the votes. He got 43%. Uh, but what happened was he did huge. He blew her away in Jefferson County, the state's largest county. But it was in the smaller counties where she was able to put together uh, much number more votes than him. Uh, those, those rural areas of Kentucky, that's what put her over the top. He was a historic turnout, lots of absentee ballots. Let's go to our panel, Dr. Wendy Osefo, professor and political commentator. Uh, we're going to also be joined by Dr. Chris Metzler, conservative analyst and Kelly Bethea, communication strategist. Wendy, I want to start with you. Very simple. Uh, this was a race where, where, again, this would have been a massive upset well, McGrath, of course, was the chosen candidate of Democrats. They felt that she was, being a veteran, uh, being far more centrist, was a better candidate to go up against Mitch McConnell in November. But the momentum really was with Charles Booker. Absolutely. You know, the momentum was with Booker, especially given all of the protests that happened leading up to this, this election. And what I think is really interesting is the fact the Democrats did back her, right? Because she has that military experience and she's, she's seen as a moderate. And they felt that anyone who would be able to beat McConnell would be a woman. So here we have her entering this race. But the truth of the matter is, it's going to be really interesting to see who is able to beat McConnell because, you know, the term that has been used for him is the boogeyman. So is she going to be able to do it? I don't know. But Democrats, some Democrats felt that her pedigree was the closest to what was needed to be able to push that forward. But Kelly, the problem here is very simple, and that is she was not really a participant uh, in um, in the various protests. Uh, she even, at one point, that was this, during this one debate, she was like, yeah, um, I had some family members who came to the town, so I was kind of busy. Uh, Booker was out there in the streets. He had mm -hmm. that level of energy. I don't necessarily know if people are going to be really that excited to vote for Amy McGrath. She had to spend a lot of money and energy dispatching Booker. Now, of course, she now has to turn her attention to McConnell. She is going to have to catch on to the move that's taking place in this country if she thinks that she's going to get the kind of black turnout uh, and young white progressive turnout she needs to beat uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Is that for me? Yes. No, I absolutely agree with you on that. It's not a situation anymore where Democrats, specifically white, uh, relatively liberal progressive Democrats can afford to be complacent and be sedentary in their beliefs. Like, we are in a movement right now. We are in the middle of a pandemic. We are in the middle of a huge conflict between the federal government and citizens by way of police brutality and the lack of criminal justice reform and the need to defund police and reallocate these funds. We cannot afford 
to have any more candidates uh, just being comfortable and taking our vote for granted. Um, right now, obviously, Biden is the only Democratic nominee for president, so it, it's it's kind of like you, you can't vote for anybody else except him, really, if you want to change in the administration. So we're already kind of, as, as a black millennial, I'm already kind of having to, you know, grin my teeth and bear it in that regard. I don't think Kentuckians want to do the same when it comes to the Senate vote. Well, so well, when it comes to McGrath, uh, she's just going to have to step her game up and really listen to her voters, specifically her black voters, specifically her millennial voters, because these are the people who are going to be carrying her into the Senate. Wendy, bottom line is here. When you look at, uh, again, who is turning out and voting, what she has to uh, do, look, you're talking about a state, yes, they elected a Democratic governor, uh, but Dem Republicans won all the other statewide seats. Uh, and so it's not like she can run as, uh, like her name was AOC, but the bottom line is, again, she had to really, really grind this victory out she now has to. She now has to get the Booker coalition to turn out, turn out for her. I agree, and and that's why I think it's really interesting here. She needs that Booker coalition, but in order for her to do that, it's not to, it's not for her to do performative acts that does that do not align to her record, right? Like what we need in this moment in this movement is authenticity. So wherever she's going to get that from. She needs to hurry up and get it because in order for her to win, she needs those millennials. She needs those people who are really engaged by this movement in our nation. And that doesn't mean for you to show up to a rally for the first time on June 8th. Right. That's not enough. You need to be involved. All right, folks. Uh, today, former Vice President Joe Biden held a news conference to release his plan with the steps Donald Trump should be taking to immediately address the COVID-19 pandemic. He also talked about Confederate statues removing the name of Woodrow Wilson and others from buildings. This is some of that news conference. Uh, over the weekend, Princeton decided to remove Woodrow Wilson's name from their school and, and buildings due to his racist thinking. Uh, President Trump uh, yesterday called that decision incredible stupidity. What do you think about Princeton's decision and the president's comments? And then more broadly, as the nation is in this moment of reckoning when it comes to race, we're seeing the removal of statues. Uh, also the removal of names from institutions and schools. Do you think that this is the right approach to come to terms with our nation's history and its leaders? What do you think when you see the removal of some of these statues? Well, I think there are sort of three categories I like. One, any institution that chose a name and wants to now jettison that name, that's a decision for them to make, for whatever reason they make it. So. If I'm assuming the Board of Trustees at Princeton University made the judgment about the Woodrow Wilson School. I don't know, but it was made within the context of an institution that chose that name and now no longer wants to be associated with that name. And I think the president's, uh, well, secondly, I think there are, there's a distinction between the, um, as uh, uh, the former mayor of New Orleans uh, said, the difference between um, uh, reminders and remembrances of history and, uh, and recovering from history. And so the idea of comparing whether or not uh, George Washington owned slaves or Thomas Jefferson owned slaves and somebody who was in rebellion committing treason, running, uh, trying to take down a union to keep slavery, 
I think there's a distinction there. And so I think the idea of bringing down, I think, all those Confederate monuments to Confederate soldiers and generals, et cetera, who strongly supported secession and maintains the maintenance of slavery and going to war to do it, I think those statues belong in museums. They don't belong in public places. And I think with regard to those statues that are in monuments, like the Jefferson Memorial or whatever, I think there's an obligation that the, uh, that the government protect those monuments because they're different than — that's a remembrance. It is not a uh, dealing with, uh, um, you know, revering somebody who had that view. They have much broader views. They may have things in their past that are now and then distasteful, but that's a judgment for the country. So, for example, taking down, toppling Christopher Columbus statue or George Washington statue or et cetera, I think that is something that is the government has an opportunity and a responsibility to protect from happening. I want to start with uh, Chris Metzler, who joins us right now. Chris, I mean, look, this is, you know, Donald Trump wants to make this an issue appealing to his white base. He's already talking about uh, a George Washington statue that was uh, defaced with red paint in New York uh, and threatening we're going to put these people in jail for 10 years uh, for doing this. But there's a reckoning that is going on in this country. Princeton made the decision to take Woodrow Wilson's name off. In fact, the governor of New Jersey today uh, announced that he is no longer even going to use the desk of Woodrow Wilson. Uh, you've got baseball players who are saying remove the name of John Landis, the first commissioner in baseball, from the MVP trophy. Uh, frankly, what this country is about to deal with is all of these, frankly, monuments and landmarks to individuals who are violent racists. This is something that people are going to have to accept. That's where we're at right now. Well, and that is exactly where uh, we are at this point. Listen, as it relates to these statutes, the monuments, et cetera, um, my big concern is this. This has been made such a political argument that it, it, it's completely out of control. And from the standpoint of using this, the, 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 you know, how are we going to learn from the history of America and particularly the issue of race if we're not um, educated about what the statutes and what the, the symbols and the Confederacy and all of those kinds of things mean? I think that's the discussion uh, that we need to be having. Instead, there is this discussion um, that in some cases, frankly, is just red meat, um, and, and it doesn't really get us to resolving any issue. But I think the fact is, right. we are at a point in this country where we have to reckon with the question of race, past, present, and hopefully resolution for the future. Um, and that's something that uh, we all have to understand, and I'm not sure that from the Republican standpoint, we are spending enough time really discussing that and really looking at solutions. Instead, uh, what we're doing is engaging in a tit-for-tat uh, conversation. I don't find that particularly helpful. But, Winnie, the reason why we're at this point is because this nation did not deal with it. Uh, in, fa in fact, uh, go ahead and find this breaking news in the governor of Mississippi uh, has just signed the bill that immediately retires the Confederate flag in the state of Mississippi. 
Uh, and, uh, per, per, you know, the, the House and the Senate took their action on Saturday and Sunday. He signs it. Now there's going to be a commission to come up with a flag, put it on the ballot in November. If majority of the people in Mississippi do not approve that flag, then it, they will come up with another flag and put that on the ballot in 2021. But here's the deal. We're in 2020, and Mississippi is just taking a federal emblem off. Uh, we, we've shown in, I mean, these massive statues of Robert Lee and all these other Confederates uh, all around. It's because, Wendy, this nation has not wanted to deal with it. And in, in the five weeks since George Floyd's death, all of a sudden, this thing is spread like wildfire across this country, and folks are snatching ch statues down because politicians, Republicans, and Democrats right. on the federal yeah. level, the state level, and the city level did not deal with this stuff because, frankly, they didn't want to piss off white people. But now you got white people and black people and Latino people and Asian people, Native Americans, who are like, mm-mm, tear this shit down now. They are not waiting. Yes, absolutely, and that's the issue. The issue is it seems like everything is happening at once. But that's because it didn't happen when it was supposed to happen. The facts are, Christopher, you had mentioned how are we going to learn about these things? How do we gain our knowledge from these things? As an educator, as somebody in academia, I will tell you, you do not have to have these monuments. You do not have to have these statues as educational. I have never pointed at them as a point of reference. It's everything in either a book you assign, a museum, an artifact. So these statues do not need to be here. And this country is in the middle of a reckoning and is not going to stop because people are tired. And it is high time for our country to make right what should have been made right to black people many, many, many years ago. And that's what we're seeing today. So if you think that this is going to stop because they're not showing marches on TV anymore, if you think this is going to stop because, let's say, some statues have been pulled down, then you are absolutely incorrect because this is just the beginning. Professor, you, you know, as a, as a professor myself, you and I are not disagreeing about this issue at all because, in fact... I'm not suggesting that they have to be there. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is that in academia, we also have a responsibility to uh, teach about, uh, the, the, about that history in a way that is enlightening and true. So we're not, I, I don't think uh, that folks are just gonna stop because it's not on TV or whatever. I don't think that at all. Look, at the end of the day, as Roland said at the beginning, Here's the thing. Had we dealt with this issue comprehensively in the beginning, rather than coming up with things like diversity training, white fragility, all of those kinds of things, if we had the down and dirty discussions from the beginning, we would not be at a point where people are now saying, listen, I'm not taking anymore. So I think as a nation, certainly, uh, we are where we are, and I don't think that it's going to stop anytime soon. I don't think, Kelly, I don't think we could have actually had that. We could not have had that conversation because let's just cut to the chase. White folks were in control. Now, Hello. And I'm just, just bottom line. And so what has happened is you now have, look, the largest, the largest group in the, on the Democratic side in the United States Congress, Congressional Black Caucus. In mm -hmm. fact, they're about to add two, maybe four more members. Uh, they may have almost 60 members. Uh, you're mm -hmm. now seeing African-Americans in other positions. But the key here, and I keep saying this, the difference here, you have woke white folks, white folks who are young, 
who grew up with a black president, who grew up seeing a woman on the Republican side as a VP, who grew up seeing a white woman, uh, another woman, Hillary Clinton, as the nominee on the Democratic side. You have, uh, you have alignment here. You have white allies mm -hmm. joining with black folks and others, and that's what is scaring the hell out of everybody right now because America has always not... America has always did, it, did its best not to have white folks and black folks become united on issues, and that's what's scaring them right now. Go ahead, Kelly. It, and it's a terrifying mm. thought, because the entire premise of this country has been based on de facto and de jure segregation on all levels of government, on all levels of society, on all levels of lifestyle, way of life, what have you. When we come together, regardless of race, religion, or creed, we can literally change the world. And that's what you're seeing right now. Yep. Now, in regards to these statues, I have absolutely no problem tearing them down. And I've said from <laughs> my personal mountaintop that it makes absolutely no sense that we have statues that are memorializing American traitors. Because that's exactly what Lee is. That's it. exactly what the Confederacy is. The fact that Mississippi had a traitor's flag embedded in its state's flag, like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Got there it. is no heritage when it comes to the Confederacy. There isn't. It's five years of them, you know, moaning and groaning about the fact that they want to keep their slaves, right. and they can't. That's not a heritage. That's a problem. And it was solved when the North won the war. So the fact that people are, you know, really trying to rewrite history and do Bikram yoga stretches, trying to make this a thing where it's like, oh, we're erasing people's heritage. If you want to claim that, those are the people who need to move out this country. Because right. those are the people who are saying, hey, I actually agree with this traitor and I want to keep that heritage. Well, that heritage doesn't belong in America, so you can go. Let's talk about our next story. Fox Soul announced that they will no longer air the scheduled 4th of July speech by Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. They put out this statement right here. Go to my iPad, please. On July 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, Fox Soul will present a special program hosted by Dr. Sean featuring a compilation of the most powerful speeches from the greatest black leaders and thinkers about racial relations and civil rights in America. This powerful and inspirational program replaces the previously scheduled Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan's message to America. Now, Fox Soul, of course, is a live streaming uh, uh, site. Uh, you can see them on YouTube, Facebook, but also online as well. I'll start with you, Wendy. Uh, you had a number of Jewish organizations who demanded that Fox Soul not air this, saying Minister Louis Farrakhan is an anti-Semite, that he is a racist as well. Um, what do you make of the pressure applied for them? And th again, this is a streaming service that targets African-Americans. And for a lot of people, not a lot of folks, again, are not accepting of this relationship that exists between Nation of Islam leader, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and uh, black media or black targeted media. And that seems to be what's going on here. I think it's actually really interesting. And I knew something was going to come down the pike because when it was announced that uh, Minister Farrakhan would be speaking, I believe as Jay. A tapper from CNN, he released a statement, quote, retweeted, and said, "How? why would you have somebody that's not only anti-Semite, but is against the LGBTQ plus community and then, come on and your then, show? And then Ice Cube responded with a tweet, said, watch your mouth, Jake. Is that, yeah, he sure did. So I knew that there was going to be something that happened, and I just feel like whether you 
look at Fox Soul or you look at other networks, they are having almost a knee-jerk reaction to um, people who are saying someone needs to be on the show versus someone not being on the show. So I think that right now what every you know streaming service, what every cable news network needs to do is just to really come out with clear guidelines on what is their mission, what is their core values, and what will they allow? Because now I feel like other questions can be poked to Fox Soul and other networks on who they invite to their network and who is allowed to have a platform. But again, Kelly, what you're what you're dealing with here is you. You've, I mean, I've heard uh, white hosts say, "Well, wait a minute, you know, African Americans." You might complain about somebody else with racist language. Then you have, uh, uh, you, then you have uh, Jewish folks who say uh, Minister Farrakhan has used hateful, racist language towards them, towards whites as well. And so, so you have this dichotomy. But then you look at the Million Man March, more than a million. You look at the 10th anniversary of the Million Man March, 400,000 plus. You look at the 20th anniversary, you had upwards of 200,000 people. And so you have this. This, this strange uh, uh, dynamic that white America has no understanding why the Nation of Islam and Minister Louis Farrakhan appeals to a lot of black people. I would venture to say not only that, but I think that Minister Farrakhan doesn't necessarily resonate with a whole lot of black people, too. I mean, you have black people who are Jewish. You have black people in the LGBT plus community. But also, Fox Soul is white-owned. So it, it's a multi-layered issue, and there's a lot of dynamics in play that I, I, I simply cannot flesh out in the 30 seconds that I have. But I, what I will say is that I do think it's problematic when Black voices are, are reduced to a monolith. And Minister Farrakhan has spent his entire life and legacy and career what have you, basically dismantling the fact that black people are a monolith in thought. So I, I do find it sim a little bit problematic that they shut him down because of that, but I also see the rationale behind possibly protecting the, the, the audience that is black Jewish people, that is black LGBT+, that is black Jewish and LGBT plus. I mean, there's there's a lot of intersectionality going on, and it is, um, it, it I don't want to say confusing, but it is conflicting. So I, I don't have the answer, but I do find it problematic. But, see, but, here's, but, but Chris, first of all, I love. Do you think it's uh, it was um, smart for them to do so uh, to pull Minister Farrakhan's speech from yeah. Fox Soul? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Look, but there's a larger problem here. And this larger problem is relative to, um, and this this has been going on, and I think it's going on more and more now. Um, a whole discussion about thing, uh, you know, uh, platforms like Fox Soul, Black This, Black That, Black The Other. Here's my question, though. My question is, how involved are Black people? Who's making the those decisions? I, you know that that's the larger problem for me. So are you and, so are, so are you saying that are you saying that let's just let's put it out here. Are you saying that even though Fox Soul is black targeted that yeah. that that if a black network or a black streaming service, a black owned network or a black streaming service if they chose to 
carry Minister Farrakhan's speech, you would not have seen uh, the same attacks against them as you see saw against Fox? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I think in that particular case, it's the question of, um, of the, what the message is, uh, them knowing who their audience actually is. And I think that's a large part of, of, of the problem. Look, we keep getting, like, Fox Soul. I mean, okay, so you target black people. Wow, thanks. Um, I'm not sure, though, in the decision-making uh, process, how much you understand the audience and how much you understand um, the differing views there. And I think there's more of an argument to be made for that. So, so I'll, put this, I'll put this out here. Because it's very interesting. I've had conversations with black folks privately, and they'll say, absolutely, I have a problem with Minister Farrakhan's language when it comes to Jews. I have a problem with uh, his language when it comes to LGBT. But then they say, on the other hand, it resonates when he's talking about white supremacy. If you, if you go back, and again, I'm just taking this thing through history, if you look at the appeal of the Nation of Islam in late 50s and 60s, you sort of had this same thing. And I, and, and I don't think, I don't think, I don't think when the white America actually understands any of those dynamics that exist in the black community. I think that what you said is a contention that I often feel as a woman who loves hip-hop, right? Like, you, you just described it beautifully. It's a hard relationship. You love a music, a genre, but in that same lyrics, they are saying things that are misogynist, right? So when we look at Minister Farrakhan, there is a history that speaks to the upliftment of Black people, that speaks to the issues of white supremacy in this nation. But in the same conversation, you have to be able to also discuss how some of his comments are anti-Semitic, how some of his comments speak against the LGBTQ plus community. And what does that do for people who are members of the black community who identify with that other group? What does that do for our brothers in the black community and our sisters in the black community who are also members of the LGBTQ plus community? And that is an issue. So yes, I understand where there might be tension, but I don't think that white people understand the complicated relationship that exists where where you have this individual who speaks about the advancement and upliftment of black people, but in the same token, can you speak for the advancement and upliftment of black people when you're not speaking about mm -hmm. all black people? Or are you just speaking about the black people who do not also fall into these other two categories? And that, there lies the contention. So, so go, ahead, go ahead, Chris. No, it, 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 it seems to me that the analysis is uh, both and, not either or. Are you simply going to say, um, he's done these things, he said these things, therefore he is not good, his voice should not be heard, or are you going to do both? And that's the question. I think it's both and. I don't think it's either or. And we keep getting locked into this, these binary choices about um, it's either A or B. And particularly in black communities, there are a number of complications. For me, for example, as someone who is black, and conservative, it's a whole lot going on there. Um, and so I think <laughs> being able to understand that is part of the discussion. So, okay, so Kelly, with that, so if, if there are people who say 
hey, I see Richard Spencer, David Duke, and Louis Farrakhan as all the same, and that is three races, two white, one black. Are they correct or are they wrong? I, I feel like that is a hyperbole of a comparison. Um, I don't recall David Duke truly doing anything for the upliftment of an entire community that remotely compares to what Farrakhan has done for the black community. It's not like da David Duke upholds an ideology that is anti-everything. It is wholly xenophobic. And it doesn't do anybody any favors whatsoever. I do not put him in the same category as Louis Farrakhan. However, when um, my... I, I can't remember her name, but uh, my... the the panelist who was talking about the hip-hop analogy. I really Wendy. like it that was Wendy. to that. Wendy, thank you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I liken it to that. It is one of those things where it's conflicting, but because we are all a community, I do feel like there's a level of accountability that we can hold Minister Farrakhan to still, even though he has established a legacy and a platform there is always time for change as long as you're on this side of the ancestral plane, right? So he has done tremendous work in the black community through the Nation of Islam. But also, he needs to understand that there are black people who are Jewish. There are black people who are part of the LGBT uh, community. And if they are not included in the conversation in a positive light, then it negates all the work that he's done because all black lives matter. And I shouldn't have to put the all in there as a qualifier, but we have to now because we are in a situation where this movement is, is, is happening. Like, like Wendy said, we are in the middle of a reckoning, but in, this, in the midst of this reckoning, we have entire sects of our own community being left out because they don't meet the the status quo or the norm or or what we perceive black people are supposed to be in other words we have a lot of people in the black lives matter movement ironically that <laughs> want us to be a monolith and the first of all that's first of all first of all that's founded first of all that's never going to happen black never, women yeah, but black queer women but here's the deal though you, 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 you're, you're, there's no monolith okay so bottom line is here you got, you got black people who are LGBT who absolutely detest Louis Farrakhan, and there's some who don't. You've got black Christian people who say, I believe he's anti-Semitic, others who say he's taking down white supremacy. And, I, and I, that's what I'm saying. I, 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 the, the thing here that's interesting is that, again, Fox Soul got pressure here. If a black-owned outlet had chosen mm -hmm. to air the speech... I don't believe for a second you would actually have this level of reaction. I don't. Yeah. I, don't I, think, don't I don't think so. No, I, 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 I don't think I, I, so. So, so I, I, that's what I'm saying. So um, I, I don't. And so, again, I did reach out to Minister Farrakhan today. Uh, we did talk offline. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, after he speaks July 4th, uh, we will have him on to talk about this uh, and other issues as well. All right, folks, uh, speaking of media, Today, in Atlanta, actually out of New York, uh, a new network launch.
the Black Information Network. That's right. Folks at iHeartMedia uh, launched the Black Information Network. It is the first and only 24-7 national and local news network with a black voice and perspective. The Black Information Network is specifically focused on serving the black community while also providing information for those outside of the community to promote and cultivate communication, accountability, and assist in the outside community gaining more understanding. Chris, I gotta start with you. It was absolutely hilarious because iHeart uh, flipped several radio stations that previously were Fox News radio stations. Uh, I'm gonna pull up in a second. Man, let's just say, White folks were in for a shock when they turned on the radio at, <laughs> at 11.30 this 11.30 a.m. and they heard speeches from Michelle Obama, Malcolm X, and others. <laughs> I'm here for it. No. <laughs> True it's story. All learned one day. True story. I was, I was, I'm going to pull up in a second, y'all. I'm going to pull up in a second. Uh, the, uh, you ought to see the comments page. It was like, what the hell? <laughs> what, 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 what happened? Who stole my, my, my show? <laughs> and, 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 you, and, and look, what people have to understand in the radio business, you know, they don't just two weeks out tell you we're doing this. No. In the radio business, they flip a format, and that's it. Boom. New format. You don't get any advance warning. That's funny. That's a mess. That's a mess, but the type of mess that I like to indulge in. <laughs> no, it was it. So, 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 so. What are your thoughts on again in this moment? iHeart launching. I mean, no. I mean, Radio One has fifty plus black radio stations. They don't have a twenty four hour radio news work. Mm -hmm. iHeart Beat is launching them. What do y'all think? I think it's great. I, I think, think it is exactly what we yeah. need. I think it yeah. is overdue. Um, and I applaud iHeartMedia for for doing this because it is necessary. And it's unfortunate that it's necessary, right? Because it's not like black news doesn't affect other ethnicities and races and cultures in this country. When something happens to us, it low-key happens to everybody. So it really does need to be in national media altogether. But the fact that we have this right now, as opposed to us just having, frankly, you, Roland, like, I can't think of another uh, entity or outlet where we can get our news and information about us from us anywhere else. So I feel like the burden has been, you know, lifted a little bit. And maybe you can breathe and not feel so pressured. Hey guys, I don't know, but uh, well, with this, hey guys, I, 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 I am all the way here for this. Guys, go to my iPad. You should be hearing this network. Pull it up, please. That listens. Atlanta's BIN640, available everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. This is Marvin Ellison, President and CEO of Lowe's Home Improvement. At Lowe's, we believe that minority small business owners are the backbone of our economy. And during this pandemic... Okay, pull that down uh, when they come back for the news. Uh, so I want y'all to see the comments here. It looks like we lost uh, Kelly's uh, feed there. Uh, this person, Christian, wow, where are we going with this review of historical speeches? Listen, go to my iPad. Listen to Malcolm X is hard. I heard it when I was 13 years old. Hearing it again with a different perspective, I'll be tuning in at the 12 p.m. news for the update. Then uh, someone, uh, where's Gordon Deal? I will not tolerate this mindless, divisive hate speech. I will be, remo <laughs> I'll be removing 640 WGST from my fave list. Count on it. Has WGST been bought by George Soros? What the hell? Where is Mark Levin? What is happening? Program change. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see here. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, what happened to Dana Barrett? I mean, these folks, boy, they are not at all, not at all happy uh, with uh, all this black stuff on the radio. And so, uh, pretty interesting, uh, Wendy. They should. You know what? I think it's really important that everybody hears black news. And I am laughing that they're not happy because they need to hear this. It is important that everyone hears this. And I find it laughable that when we have news that talks about what black people are going through, it's called black news. But when we have any other news, it's just called news. No, no this is news. The same way I should have to sit and listen to just regular news about everybody and anybody, it's the same way they should have to sit and listen to this news. And I think that's really important. And if they have a problem with it, that means that it's doing what it's supposed to do. So how about that? Well, first of all, this guy, Ja Ali, uh, on uh, YouTube, this is not a black network. This is funded by white people. Again, let me say it again, uh, Chris. It's iHeartRadio. So by mind, it's a black-targeted network. Okay, y'all read The Root. They ain't black-owned. A white hedge fund, folks, mm -hmm. actually owns The Root. Okay, mm -hmm. I can go down the line. All right, BT, not black-owned. BT Heard, not black-owned. Uh, Bounce TV, not black-owned. Uh, own actually is majority controlled by Discovery, not Oprah. Yeah. So we can go down the line if y'all want to. So the reality is there. That, that's why we say there's black targeted media, there's black owned media. And the reality is, look, our heart created this. Look, I got no problem with it. If it's an opportunity for black folks who are journalists to do radio, to do news, here's the deal. We got black targeted websites, black targeted cable networks. Now you got black targeted radio stations. And so, Chris, your thoughts? Final comment. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of what people like to talk about when there's so-called, first of all, I, the amount of people I talk to who say, oh, black people listen to news. Um, uh, yeah, uh, we don't just uh, booty shake, um, you know, and I think it's the opportunity to understand how uh, the news affects uh, black people yep. and everyone else. Absolutely. And, and I think it's a brilliant move. All right, folks, uh, let's talk about what's happening in Atlanta. Garrett Roth, the former Atlanta police officer who fatally shot Rayshard Brooks in the Wendy's parking lot, was granted a $500,000 bond today. Judge Jane Barwick said that he is not a danger to the community or a flight risk. He'll have to wear an ankle monitor, will not be able to have any weapon, uh, any kind of weapon, and must surrender his passport. The decision came after Tamika Miller, Brooks' widow, asked the judge to deny Roth's release. On August 24, 2019, Elijah McClain was walking home when he was stopped by Denver, Colorado police officers after they received a call of a suspicious person wearing a black ski mask. McClain often wore ski masks when outside because he was anemic. The confrontation with police escalated, and one officer placed McClain in a chokehold. He was later injected with ketamine in an attempt to sedate him, and he began vomiting. He suffered cardiac arrest while in the ambulance. He was declared dead three days later. Body cam footage was released where we can hear some of his last words. It began to go viral, of course, a year later in June 2020, just warning people right now. This is triggering to some people, uh, but this is the video that was released. Oh, Elijah yeah, That's what I was doing. I was just doing home. Why I'm an introvert and I'm different. Oh, I'm just different. I'm just different. That's all I was doing. It was actually looking. I'm still sorry. I have no gun. That's what I tried to do. I don't do that stuff. 
I don't do any fighting. Other units that are not here. Why would you slow down a little bit? I don't lose the hookets. I don't even kill flies. I don't eat beef. I we and I'm not a vegetarian. I don't no. judge people. No, I mean, I'm not walking away. I try to just make a seat with. When we showed him up, and all like, when we showed up, he was wearing a And I respect all like. Yeah. Walking, so I mean, that's on. Forgive me. Yeah. All I was trying to do I tried. was become we better. We, we started it because he, he reached for a rope. Like, and we had him on the wall. And I'll do it. I'll do it. There's no other suspicious than you. Nobody else is better. My camera is better. help. All life. I will do it. Okay. One of you guys might contact you with the, uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh. Look at this. Well, that's great. We are beautiful. That's mine. He was, he was hitting at us. I'm I'm In a mood. Oh, it's outside. Folks, a peaceful a peaceful violin vigil was held on Saturday in Aurora, Colorado, in memory of Elijah McClain. But riot police abruptly broke it up with pepper spray and rubber bullets to disperse the crowd. Folks, uh, that is certainly extremely difficult video to watch there, uh, and it just it, it shows you again the actions of police, Wendy. Yeah, you know that that's a tough one to watch. As you were playing it, I I actually had to look away because I was starting to get emotional just to hear his last words. And this is someone that even an adult without being tra trained as a police officer, I. You know, he's saying he's an introvert. He's saying he doesn't do those type of things. Why the necessary force of three people to be on him? Why? I just don't understand. And I say this, and I don't mean to get emotional. I just say this as a mom of two black boys. I don't know why they see our skin and our color as a weapon. And it hurts me to my core that this continues to happen. And here we are, you know, with another hashtag, another name. But my question to everyone is, how many others are there that were not videotaped or have not been trending or have not gone viral? This needs to stop. And the only way for it to stop is for us to really start to look at our law enforcement and dissect right. the ways in which we are going to police people. Because right, right now, what they're doing is not working. And this is what happens again, Chris, when you have officers who don't not I mean you stop them riding a bike. I'm sorry, a person shouldn't be dead because they were riding a bike. No, and I, I, I you know, this was extremely difficult um, to watch. And, and, and here's the other thing for me. 
what is with him being injected with a drug? What? what? Right. I, I don't understand that. And and so they inject him with this drug. What that was that done by the EMT? Whoever it is, it, there's. I mean, I'm completely speechless right. at this. And as I hear people talking about training, police department training, this is not an issue. This is not a training issue. This is a systemic issue. This is looking at uh, black boys and black men as really um, creatures of society who are there to cause harm. I mean, clearly, as he had indicated, and of course, he's he has asthma, so he's got to wear... I'm sorry, not asthma, but he's anemic. He's right. got to wear a mask outside. That's just how that works. Yep. And they didn't know that? Well, and, and again, though, even if you don't know it, even if you don't know it, Kelly, you take the time to have a conversation to ascertain and understand, but you don't immediately go to slamming somebody down, putting your neck on their back or throat, and frankly killing them. I... Like the other panelists here, I, I really am completely speechless with this, mainly because it, he was such a beautiful soul. And that has been evident in everything that we have seen of this young man um, in social media and the stories that have been done about him. But let's just, even if he wasn't, mm -hmm. like Dr. Wendy was saying, your skin isn't a weapon. Dylan Roof is still alive. The, and yeah, that was the other point saying. that I was going to say. Dylan Roof shot and killed nine black people. City. This is the exact same city where the the boy who went into the movie theater during the Batman movie. And, and he's the, still alive. He's still alive. The same cops, mm. the same police force who basically treated him like a baby in terms of getting him arrested and booked and whatever, treated him like some type of prize. Right. This is the same police department that decided that a violinist who likes kittens and was wearing a mask because he's anemic, and that was the other... I'm anemic, too. I'm not severely anemic, but I understand right. the need for covering when you're cold mm -hmm. all the time. So the fact that they thought that this young man who looked like a buck 20 soaking wet was a danger to society such that you needed to inject him with enough ketamine to put down a horse. It's absolutely disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And it's even more disgusting that we had to wait a whole year for any of these details to come right. out. Absolutely. Uh, we will certainly will continue to cover this story as well, folks. Uh, final story before I go to uh, my next guest. Netflix has committed to move as much as $100 million to black-owned banks, making it the largest company to pledge such a large sum of money to institutions who are historically underfunded. Netflix will move $25 million into the Black Economic Development Initiative. The initiative focuses on investment in black-owned financial institutions that serve low-income communities. $10 million would go directly to Hope Credit Union. In the future, Netflix will continue to steer $5 billion to financial organizations who directly support African-American communities. Due to the company's commitment, shares of black-owned banks surge, Chris. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I was talking about that has to happen. I'm not interested in the $10 million that people yeah. are giving to the NAACP or the National Urban League or the Black Lives Matter or whatever. No. This is about investment. Investment. 
people don't understand, 100 million going to these black banks, they now can lend money to African-American homeowners, things along those lines. That has to happen with more companies, and that's what we should be challenging folks on, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of, you know, all this diversity, so, oh, that's cute. But at the end of the day, the question becomes, how do we invest in our own communities? For black, a small black business owner such as myself, how do you do that? And I think it's the question of investment. Yep. I think it's the question of generational wealth. Um, Taco Tuesday, Soul Food Wednesday, all right, companies, you can do that if you want. But if you're going to really uh, want to be a good corporate citizen, uh, this is the way to do it. And so I absolutely applaud them for that effort. All right, folks, real quick here, Wendy and Kelly. Uh, Kelly, you first. Wendy, you're going to have the final comment. Go, Kelly. No, I think it's great. Again, we need outlets that ex that are for us, whether they're white-owned, black-owned, whatever, as long as it's authentically for us. At this juncture, that's what we need. So I applaud Netflix for that. And I, this is the same uh, company whose CEO just donated, what was it, $120 million? $120 million to spell in the Morehouse. Exactly. And then to uh, to the United Negro College Fund, so right. split three ways. So. I, I'm not surprised by this action. I'm I'm pleasantly, um, I'm not pleasantly surprised. I am I'm I'm glad. Uh, Wendy, just in the, general. Wendy, this is what Dr. King did with Operation Breadbasket when they were talking to companies wanting to deposit money in black banks. Go ahead. Absolutely, this is about people and companies putting their money where their mouth is. And this is what we need to see. Your diversity and inclusion trainings are cute, but we need to put black people in power. And the way to put black people in power is to help them formulate generational wealth, to help them support black businesses that will then in turn build up black communities. So we need more of this yep. and less of your safe conversations that you have in your workplace. We need <clears throat> these investments. Wendy, Chris, and Kelly, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, let's talk sports. Although much has changed since the death of George Floyd in corporate America, they're making changes there. NFL and sports at large continues to have a diversity problem when it comes to the hiring of general managers, when it comes to a pre club presidents. Same thing happening in sports. You, like I said earlier, you got baseball players. They want the name of Commissioner Landis off of the MB MVP trophy. Uh, there was another particular ball player uh, who announced that he was uh, he was sitting out the 2020 season because of the issue with COVID, blasting baseball for its 8% uh, black ball players and what they're not doing for African Americans. Joining me right now is Harry Carson. The executive director of the Fritz Pollard Alliance and Rod Graves, who is the company's director. Glad to have both of you uh, with me, Harry. I want to start with you. Uh, bottom line is this: here uh, is that lots of lip service. Uh, that was a, that was an initiative just a couple of weeks ago uh, uh, that dealt with a summit dealt dealing with minority coaches. Ten NFL teams didn't even send anybody. How in the hell do you not send somebody to a Zoom uh, discussion in the middle of all of this? Well, I'm going to respectfully defer that over to Rod because Rod has more information about that than I do. Well, well I, I didn't want to get your thoughts on that. Just the fact that, I mean, Rod, you, you can go ahead and speak to it, but, I mean, seriously, you're in the middle of this. Uh, Roger Goodell does his apology and make you give a Black Lives Matter statement and they don't even send any 10 teams, one-third of the league. Well, Roland, I, I, I think it is an embarrassment that we didn't get 100% participation from all clubs uh, r regarding uh, uh, these uh, uh, 
uh, programs, initiatives, and all of the things that have been circulating in the news lately with respect to the NFL. Uh, you know, uh, the problem with commitment uh, and intentionality has been the issue with the National Football League from the very beginning. And Harry and I are uh, both advocates of the league, and, and we appreciate uh, our experiences with the National Football League. But, Roland, this is an area, after 100 years of existence, uh, we can only point to uh, three African-American head coaches, two general managers as African-Americans, zero presidents, very few people in the C-suite, and that's, uh, to me, that's uh, inexcusable. And this is the reason why the Fritz Politics Alliance exists, to bring attention to these areas. And uh, it takes George Floyd uh, in a situation like this to raise the, the level of attention right. to a heightened level. Uh, but um, we, we certainly appreciate it. Harry, it's very simple. There are 32 people who can change this. The owners. Yeah. They, yeah. the owners control the league. Not Roger Goodell, not Troy Vincent, not the, not, not, um, not the Players uh, Association, uh, 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 Demora Smith. 32 owners. They're the ones who this is at their feet. That's true. And, uh, you know, Rod and I have worked long and hard with uh, Roger Goodell. He's really done. To, to my in, in my opinion, a very good job of, of, of getting more diverse within the league. But you cannot mandate to owners, owners who have an asset of more than a billion dollars per team, as to what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. There are some owners who, have, who understand what their role is and they are bending over backwards to make some change, especially with everything that is going on now. But still, you're going to have some owners who are going to be slow to get to the table and want to be more diverse than what they really are. So, you know, it's up to the league. When I say the league, Roger Goodell, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, and just everyday fans of putting those owners on notice that they have to do better in terms of diversity. I'll be, I'll be honest, Rod. Look, we saw what happened in Mississippi. The governor just today signed that bill, uh, immediately removing that flag, and they're going to, of course, have a commission to uh, vote on a new one in November. Why did they move? Because a black ball player in Mississippi said, I'm not playing. All of those coaches across Mississippi went to the state capitol saying, y'all better move this flag down. I, I, I'm sorry. The only way this thing moves if players put that pressure on owners? Roland, there's no question about that. Uh, uh, players are in a position to change the business model uh, that the owners uh, are under. And uh, they can only, they're the only ones in position to uh, really uh, make a, a huge financial impact uh, on this particular issue. We understand that, and that's why you know, we're partnering uh, with uh, the uh, uh, Players uh, Coalition and seeking to work with a, a wider uh, a range of players on this particular issue because we know at the end of the day that the owners respond to the bottom line. 
And uh, as much as we'd like to think that, that uh, there are multitudes of people out there, particularly in the NFL, who care about the issue of diversity, uh, we know at the end of the day the thing that really mo motivates them is the bottom line. Well, Harry, look, you played for a long time in the NFL. Players mm -hmm. are like, look, NFL players have the fewest, have the shortest careers. And so what will it take for the players to say, yeah, we're going to have to put it on the line. If we actually want to see changes, we're going to have to make it happen. And if that, they, they may have to sit here and sit down in the middle of the field to, to, to delay a game or whatever the heck. But to me, there has to be something that is significant with a majority of the players to get these owners' attention because the, all the power rests with them. Well, I think a couple of weeks ago, you saw a very powerful video that the young players made to uh, Roger Goodell, and he reciprocated with a video back. I, I think the pieces are there with young players who are outstanding players who have stepped onto their platforms, and they've talked about, you know, making a difference and talked about discrimination and, and so forth. But I, but I think that uh, also there are just um, so many people who are now in ready to tell the owners it's about change. Things are going to change. I don't necessarily think that there's going to be a football uh, play this, this coming season, but I think that the owners really need to understand that things are changing very rapidly, and they better get on board because if they don't, they're going to be left behind. Gentlemen, I certainly appreciate it. Keep us updated. Rod Graves, Harry Carson, and we will certainly uh, have you back as we, because uh, look, we're all about putting that pressure on them as well. Uh, I have not worn any Houston Texans gear since 2016, and I made it clear until Colin Kaepernick gets put to a training camp on one of these teams. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and so they can make, do all the apologies they want to, but you can't say you're going to take a knee if you still whiteball the guy who actually started that whole thing in 2016. So, gentlemen, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland. Well, Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk to somebody who understands what it means to be the owner of a sports team. Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Also, after that, we'll talk with Terry C Cruz. Man, he is constantly getting canceled on social media. He'll explain his comments today that'll rile folks up. I'll be back on Roller Martin Unfiltered in a quick moment. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, there are... Look, a lot of NFL owners out there, NBA owners and hockey owners and soccer owners and baseball owners, but I don't think there's anybody who is as outspoken as Mark Cuban. He, of course, is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. You see him on Shark Tank uh, as well. Um, and someone you will never see in a jacket or a tie. Mark, how you doing? Hey, I'm getting ready. Wait, can you see that? Hold on. This is for Terry Crews. Uh <laughs> 
Well, he's he's going to follow you. Uh, and so, uh, but I, I do want to do this before we start. I do want to do this here, folks. Uh, please go to my iPad. Uh, I, I want to personally thank uh, Mark Cuban for donating $100,000 to the National Association of Black Journalists COVID-19 relief efforts in the name of Roger B. Brown and Martin McNeil. Both of them uh, two former Dallas Mavericks beat writers. Uh, Roger B. Brown was my dear friend, uh, colleague. We were fraternity brothers. Uh, we we spent lots of times uh, at Dallas Mavericks games. He was a sports director at KKDA Radio, where I was the news director and morning anchor. Uh, and so, Mark, I just wanted to personally, uh, I miss him dearly. Just want to certainly thank you uh, for doing that on behalf of those two great sports writers. Yeah, they were good guys, man. I loved having them at the games. They both had Flair and Marty. You know, would pull no punches with me and take take it to me. And Roger, he was one of a kind. So it, it was my pleasure to to try to support in their name. Indeed, our favorite Mississippi homeboy. We definitely miss him. Uh, I was just talking with uh, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, and I was talking about, uh, of course, the issues the NFL is having. And I said it's very simple. There are only 32 owners. They're the ones who could change this. You, we can yell and scream and say, Roger Goodell, what are you doing? But he works for 32 owners. You're an owner. You understand that. Adam Silver works for the owners. And so what is it, it going to take for these owners to wake up and realize what the hell is going on? Uh, and they've got to diversify, not just with the people who are, who are off the field, especially when you look at who's on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, I heard you talk, talking about Cap. I, I just don't get it. I mean, look, if Cap could, sign, could play basketball, I'd sign him right now. You know, I, I don't care. If, if Santa Claus can help me win... I'm all in. And so I, I don't get it on not at least giving Cap a tryout and bringing him to preseason. And in terms of just, you know, diversity within a league, the NFL is just different than us. I mean, you know, it's – I can't explain why they've had so many challenges, it, you know, and I don't talk to enough of those guys to really get a feel rolling. But I think that – I think that the NFL is a microcosm of what we're seeing in corporate America. I think what happens is – and right now – uh, Mark, what you're seeing is you're seeing what I, what I call revolts, rebellions happening inside of companies where you have where we have black staffers who for years have been saying these are the problems, but now all of a sudden you've got white allies who are also saying we're sick of this and it's causing these companies to go, okay, what the hell? I mean, that was an advertising agency that well, their numbers were, were leaked and the CEO was shocked to see, you know, 2.5% uh, black staffers, and then seeing no senior executives. And, and I attest that to people who, frankly, uh, walk into a room, and if, they, if the room is all white, they're comfortable and don't even think about the fact that it's yeah. not diverse. Yeah, I think what it comes down to is white people don't like to think or talk about race, you know? And I think we all, and I've, I've just, I'm just as guilty of this in the past, if I think I'm colorblind, then it's not my problem, and I don't really have a problem. And it's not like white people sit around and say, okay, let's talk about race. Let's talk about the impact on our company. Let's talk about what's going on in the country. It's just not something we're comfortable doing. Just, you know, it just saying the word, the term white race or white people makes me, makes any white person uncomfortable because we just don't discuss it. And if you don't feel comfortable discussing it, it's going to be very hard to implement it in a corporate environment. You're absolutely right. I think back to uh, when I worked, I was a, I was the only black male uh, news reporter at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And that's where Roger, and B, Roger B. Brown and I first met. And I remember 
and we were I was actually making photocopies of my articles getting ready to go to the Uni Journalists of Color convention the following week. And so and we had this huge window where the edit, where the editorial meeting took place. And I'm standing there and I'm sitting there going, the room is all white. And it probably had two women. So one of the editors comes out, Mike Minichini, he sat near me and I said, Mike, I said, you ever notice there are no black people in that meeting? And he goes, no. I said, well, let me ask you this something, Mike. I said, if you went to the Women's Chambers of Commerce event, how fast would it take you to realize that you're one of the few men there? He said, I probably would figure it out real quick. I said, if you went to the Black Chamber of Commerce event, how long would it take you to figure out that you wanted a few white folks there? He said, probably pretty quickly. I said, but if you went to the Chamber of Commerce, the main one, I said, would you notice that the room was nearly all white? He said, no. And I said, Mike, and that's the difference between me and you. I always notice if the room is all black, if it's women, if it's all white, if it's all Latino, because I have to understand where I am at all times. And I said, and that's part of the problem. And it's even more than that, Roland. So if I go someplace that is all black and I'm one of the few, if not only white person there, you know, historically I thought, oh, this is no big deal. See, I'm, I'm not racist. This is not a problem for me. I, I can deal with this. And then you move on. You don't, I would never translate it to say, okay, what about the opposite side of that? How does that impact, you know, people of color or people of dif different ethnicity, ethnicities or LGBTQ or, you know, women? It's just... It's just not something that we typically talk about as white people, and I think that is the core of what needs to change. The, this moment that we're in, I've said this consistently, I, have, I cannot recall in, the, in my 51 and a half years where we have seen this type of change in five weeks. George Floyd was murdered five weeks ago yesterday, and a lot has happened. A lot continues to happen. I, I just saw uh, another story. Uh, 300 Target and Best Buy have joined. 350 companies are now pulling their money out of Facebook to say, unless you deal with racism on Facebook, we're not spending money. 350 companies. That's happened in a week. Yep. Things move fast. And I'll, you know who I give a lot of credit to is Gen Z. Not even millennials, Gen Z. Because they really have grown up in a world, I mean, and look, the oldest Gen Z person is what, 21, 22 years old? Right. They've grown up in a world where biracial dating is not something to even look twice at. You know, your age, my age, you know, we still look at that and it's, you know, we have, at least for me, I have to say, no, that's not a big deal. You know, because where I grew up and the people I grew up around in my neighborhood, that was a big deal. For them, it's not. And in fact, it's even bigger than that because they've grown up on social media and how they present themselves, how they present what they wear, how they present the products and services they buy and use, who their friends are, and when they present them on Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and wherever, that really defines who they are to all their friends. And so if they don't recognize the changes in society, if they're not part of those changes, I mean, they're gonna stand out as not being up to speed with, with their peers. And so I think that's had a lot to do with it. I'm the vice president digital for the National Association of Black Journalists. Last year, we met with the senior leadership team at ABC News, and we were talking about their lack of senior executives. And in that conversation, uh, they said, you know, they had offered jobs to several different people, but none took them. And I said, you probably have a culture problem. 
And they, and they sort of looked at me and said, I said, no. I said, you probably need to examine your culture. Well, right now, their vice president, head of talent, is on administrative leave uh, because of alleged racial discrim discriminatory language. You, yeah. ha you had to deal with this culture issue. You had yeah. to confront turning your entire organization upside down. Uh, your former CEO, Tadima Usri, who I, who I know personally, um, you had to examine that, and you had to look at yourself. And, and you were very open and honest about how, what, what you as a man, how you had to confront these allegations of sexual harassment and the treatment of women within your organization. What, what was that? How hard was that for you to have to confront that? It was, I mean, it was brutal, but it was not nearly as hard as what the women in the organization had to go through. You know, I always thought that I treated everybody equally, but to me, it was like a math equation. If I said something stupid to a man, okay, I could say the same stupid sophomore thing to a woman, that meant, you know, I treated them equally. If I said something to an African-American or to a Latinx or to a white person, that meant I was treating them equally. But then through that difficult process, I learned the hard way that treating people equally does not mean treating them the same. That trying to be colorblind was a mistake, not an accomplishment. And that was the hard lesson that I learned and has really you know, pushed me forward in all of this. Because the hardest part, Roland, was finding out that you know, there were women at the organization that were afraid to go to work, that it was painful for them to go to work. And, that, and I didn't see it. You know, and I had somebody there that was making it worse. And so, you know, recognizing that, and I guess the takeaway for me and where I really tried to grow from it was that I had to really dig in to treat people, to, to really get to know who a person was in order to be able to work with them, you know, and, and to put together an organization and culture that was supportive of them, that everybody comes from a different place. And if I just treated people equally, treating people the same, that it doesn't respect their differences. And by not respecting their differences, not only was I creating a, a culture that was difficult for women in particular, but it was bad business. Because, you know, we had white guys who looked like me trying to sell to Latinx women Mavs tickets. You know, the, the Indian community is the sixth largest in the United States, and we didn't have anybody from that community selling to the community. We didn't have enough African-Americans selling into the African-American community or helping us with marketing, you know, the people who knew the community best. And so, you know, I learned, like I said, being colorblind is the worst way to be, and it's really bad business. You brought in uh, Sint Marshall uh, be the CEO. She worked at AT&T. Had a chance to meet her uh, again uh, when I was at the All Star Game uh, in Chicago. Uh, had no idea she was such a huge fan of mine. Uh, and yeah. uh, and and sh and again, she comes in. So you go from a black male CEO, Tadima Usri, to a black female CEO, uh, Innocent Marshall. What what did her perspective? What, 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 again, how she saw it. So here you are looking at your, your organization. And then she's now looking at the organization. What was it like to sit here and, 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 and you've been working with her and looking at how she sees it totally different than you? 
Well, the difference was I could see it and look at it. She could feel it and experience it. She knew what people had been through as a woman, as an African-American woman, as a cancer survivor, as someone who had, you know, risen up the corporate ladder and faced a lot of, you know, harassment and discrimination at various places along um, her career. And so she could feel the difference in that feeling, you know, and, and I say feeling, it's truly intellectual as well, let her, let her understand how to talk to people, how to hire better, how to interview better, how to have the right people, not only finding talent, but interviewing the talent and understanding where they were coming from, recognizing that you know your resume wasn't necessarily the best way to gauge hiring, that there was more to a person's background, and then being able to translate that into business. That is just such a varied skill set that she just you know, had in every which way you know, that I didn't have. Um, and that really just revitalized the the entire organization. And, and way, you know, I can't even thank her. There's there's not enough ways to thank St. Marshall for not only what she did for the Mavs, but what she's taught me. Uh, I interviewed uh, Mitch Landrieu, of course, former mayor of New Orleans. Um, and, and in the interview, we talked about what he went through when he took down the Confederate statues in New Orleans. And in his book, he said something that was interesting. Uh, and uh, he, he talked about white fear. And he said, when it came to white fear, he said, white people, I, I, I know black people. They're not going to do to us what we did to them. It's okay. Stop freaking out. And Mitch and I talked about it, and, and I have been making this point, I'm actually working on a, a, a book dealing with this, that, that, that this moment that we're in and what we're dealing with, Mark, we're dealing with white fear, power, control, oh, my God. You know, the majority of kids in America, 18 and under, are people of color. Oh, my goodness, in 23 years, America's going to be a majority-minority country. What's going to happen? And I think, which I think the issue with CAP, it was white America was raised how they view the flag. And the anthem is different than black folks. Black folks, very much patriotic, but we know there were black soldiers who were lynched in their uniforms. We know that there were black GIs who could not buy houses and get loans and work in corporate America when they came back from World War II, came back from Korea in the Vietnam War. And so I think this, what is happening right now is there's this shift that's going on is you have this older generation that's like, but can we just hold on to, to old America as long as we can? That's it. That's 100% it. They're trying to hold on to the way they like things to be. And that's always been the case, whether it's the, you know, the 2020s or it's the 2000s or it's the 1970s, 60s, 50s. You know, the oldest generation, you know, they've been through it. They've seen their lives and they're trying to hold on and don't want to deal with change. And it's just passing them by the, you know, the, the silent generation, the older boomers. I mean, it's it's hitting them right in the face. Like, I'll do certain interviews and the hate emails I get, but every single email I get from someone who's obviously white is always the same. It's like, first thing out of, out, they write, I'm not a racist because <laughs> they get so defensive, so defensive. And that's part of the problem. When white people hear the term white privilege, no one, none of us say, what does that really mean? 
right? We immediately get defensive and think, privilege, let me tell you a story, right? Whether it's their personal story, their right. parents' story, their grandparents. And I'm like, we're a nation of immigrants. Everybody has that story. And so it's not about that. And then you try to explain to them what white privilege is. And even then, they don't want to hear it. They get so defensive. Right. And we immediately create um, this response, right? We, we create this equivalency that says, I can't be a racist because. Right, right. And that's what we have to overcome. And that's why I've been trying to speak out, because I've got to get into the heads of white people and say, white privilege has nothing to do with you personally. White privilege has nothing to do with anything that's happened in your family history at all, nothing at all. Well, why use the term white privilege? You use the term white privilege because it pisses you off and it freaks you out and makes you think. If they would have just said white skin issues, people would have just ignored it, you know, or whatever other term, right? And so trying to get, you know, it's uncomfortable for white people to deal with it, to address the term white privilege, but that's part of what we have to do. And, you know, like you referred to, the older generation is going to fall off. And I really, really believe that the younger generations are just going to laugh at this point in time and look to see how stupid, you know, their, their parents and grandparents were the, dealing with race issues. The only problem that we're seeing, though, when we look at this polling data, the racial views that even younger whites are having. And I keep telling people, Jim Crow had children, and Jim Crow will have grandchildren. And so one of the reasons why I very rarely, I very rarely call someone a racist is because, not that they're not a racist, it's because that, and, and this happened on TV, I was at CNN for six years, and it drove me crazy when, when we would have these debates, and I would just say, this is just stupid. Because this is what you would say, that's racist. And then the conversation comes, so, no, it's not. So no, then, then it's like, racist, time, not right? racist. Racist, not racist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The issue, so now that's the debate, as opposed to all that stuff in between. What you said, what you did. And so I would, so what I focus on is what you said, what you did. Forget the label. And I'm like, no, what you did was racist. What you right. said was racist. Now let's talk about that versus racist, not racist, not racist, racist. And then that, that just takes a debate down a rabbit hole and then you never deal with the actually what happened. Never solved that, right? And the worst part is talking to white people, and again, trying to create those conversations, it's trying to get them to understand the subtle things that we do that, you know, you don't, even I don't like to use the term racist for the reasons you mentioned, the subtle things that extend systemic racism, right? The systemic aspect of it. You know, who's doing the interview? Yeah, you're going out there and you're checking off the box and you're bringing in a lot of African-Americans and women to be interviewed, but the person doing the interviewing is white and 60 years old, right? And is not gonna relate to a 22-year-old African-American um, transgender, you know, whoever, you know, pick whoever is fitting in that's young and that they're not gonna relate to. And so there's little things like that. You know, or today, you know, I got this email from this older elderly lady and who was trying to convince me that white people don't need to have these conversations. It's not our problem, et cetera, et cetera, because she listens to hip hop music. And, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, and I said to her, do you have any friends that you think are racist? And she said, yeah, you know, and I've stayed friends with them. And I said, did you ever say anything to this person to try to convince them that they're wrong or even suggest to them that they shouldn't be doing these things? Yeah, I tried. And I'm like, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's why this is a white person problem, because we have to do more than try, because we all know 
which one of our friends, acquaintances, or coworkers are, if not overtly racist, subvert, you know, subtly racist. Right. And it's up to us when we hear and see those things, instead of just shaking our head and said, boy, that's not me, I'm not racist, and say, no, look, if for the best betterment of the country, you know, when we pledge allegiance to the flag, it's for liberty and justice for all. And so if that flag truly means anything to you and liberty and justice for all, your pledge means anything to you, you've got to do more than if they don't respond, just accept it. You've got to say, come on, man, we, you know, this is not right. Why are you there? Let's talk about this. Or let's get somebody you can talk to. Because you know if that person is even minimally, subtly racist at work, that's what they're conveying to their kids. When we talk about, again, this notion of white fear, money also comes up. And this is what I keep telling people. If you want to understand America, you got to deal with money. And I, I mentioned Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg didn't give a damn what everybody thought. He was kind of like, whatever. You had, of course, um, African-American uh, CEO, Ken Chenault, led American Express for years, was on his board, who resigned saying he won't listen. Okay? So companies went, okay, Mark, we're going to get your attention. Yeah, Pull, our money out. <laughs> Pull our money out. Pull our money out. Okay, $56 billion uh, in, 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 uh, knocked off uh, because of the stock price. And what I keep telling folks is, and Dr. King understood this with Operation Breadbasket, if you want, the only way you can confront and change America, you've got to deal with money. When that black football player at Ole Miss said, I'm not playing another down, as long as that flag stays up, and they saw that other black ball player transfer... And then all of a sudden, those coaches were like, um, hey, y'all got to bring this yes. flag down because if, if, if there's a rebellion among these black ball players, we ain't got nothing. SEC said no championships in the state. That's Boom. what brought that Boom. flag down. Yep. Yeah, look, there's, there's no question money matters. And what I would tell you, Roland, is bottom-up money matters as much, if not more. Because where we're really going to have an impact is by investing in people of color, women of color, um, in their businesses and helping them grow. Because as I said about the Mavs, the lesson I learned, there's a phenomenal business opportunity selling into the communities of color, selling into ethnic communities, and the best people and the, with the best capabilities to sell and, and to create businesses for those communities are the people who live there. And so I'm out there knocking on doors, trying to create opportunities and invest. And I've invested over the last couple of years, tens of millions of dollars into people of color. And they've done well because as much as the big companies like to think that they're checking the boxes and doing the right thing, you know, all the people who are out there grinding and hustling and starting small, Damon John, my, my buddy from Shark Tank, calls it the power of broke. They're the ones that are going to create the world-changing businesses. And to me, yeah. that's where the greatest money is going to speak the loudest. Look, I'll, I'll, look, I'll be honest. Look, I've spent six years at CNN, 13 years at TV One Cable Network, 11 years on the Tom Jonah Morning Show. And when my TV One show ended, I said, no, I got to launch a digital show. And folks told me, dude, you're nuts. Folks were like, man, but we would love for you to go back to CNN or MSNBC. I was like, no. I said, I did that already. And the fact of the matter is... I wouldn't be in control of the show. And so when we started this. How do you think they felt when we started the whole streaming industry 25 years ago? Right. They were like, you're an idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have no, you ever no, seen TV? No, and I, re <laughs> I, 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 I remember. People were like, real player? Yeah, whatever. And, and in fact, I was working at the Star Telegram, and they had a thing called Star Text. And I used to yep. go down to their offices, and the reporters were like, Roland, what the hell are you doing? I said, I'm trying to tell y'all that's where we're going. 
And the, and the thing is, when we when I launched this here, uh, what my my producer he was like, we're gonna do a podcast. I said, nah. He's like, why? I said, because I actually launched the first black news source podcast in 2005. And I said, no, I'm telling you, video news show. I said, that's the next thing. And all these people were saying, you're nuts, you're crazy. And look, we bootstrapped it. It was like, hey, I mean, it was like took cuts, you know, live off of my speeches, and we've just been building it. But the whole thing is, now all of a sudden, people are going, whoa, you've grown this thing. You're about to hit, a, you're going to hit 600,000 subscribers on YouTube. Y'all not doing 20 million views a month because the audience, I kept saying, ain't nobody doing black news. The audience is there. But if yeah. you super serve the audience, they will respond. And too yeah. many of these people are bypassing black entrepreneurs and Latino entrepreneurs and women entrepreneurs who are going, trust me, we know our audience. But don't yeah, think they're know, not there. You know how much buying power you have, too, right? You know, and it's just, look, the, the, the pandemic is horrible in so many ways. The civil unrest is great in some ways, but the riot and looting were painful in a lot of ways, as, as obviously George Floyd and all the deaths have been. But when we look back at 2020, the summer of 2020, we're going to see so many great businesses that were created, so much social change that came out of this. But this is such a unique time to start a business because, like you know, you mentioned Zuckerberg and Facebook. All of the old school legacy businesses, and I'm including Facebook as an old school company that's been around almost 20 years, you know, they're trying to protect their legacy businesses. They're trying to get back to doing it the way it's always been done. There are a lot of people of color, there are a lot of young people, Gen Z, that are out there starting businesses that don't have to protect old, old parts of their business. You know, they get to disrupt. They get to just walk in and say, this is the way I envision America 2.0 looking and working, and so I'm gonna create a business this way. You know, I, I work with this kid, Ezell Moon, who's doing um, interviews on Instagram and on YouTube, trying to mentor him to get him going through for this very reason, because there's nobody out there that's doing interviews of young people of color. You know, Black News, you're right on, Roland. There's there's a whole market there. And, you know, you should probably talk to Ezell because there's a whole market for young um, oriented news as well and, and interviewing young people of color. Ezell Moon, E-Z-E-L Moon on Instagram. Um, and his actual personal one is Resolute King. But he, he's talented as hell. And there's going to be so many opportunities and so many world-changing companies um, created out of this pandemic that in 20 years, we're going to look back and just say, wow. Final question for you. You have been an extremely vocal critic of Donald Trump. Uh, you yeah. went on Sean Hannity's show, didn't get many words in uh, with all the nonsense from Sean. Uh, but the point we talked about earlier, Donald Trump is appealing. He's pushing those racial buttons, and he is appealing to the people who want the America of 1940, 50, 60, and 70, and they do not want this multicultural America that we have right now. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he can't stop it. It's just the reality. You know, the, the door is open, and you've got the, you know, majority, minority that are walking through it right now. Right now. This is a point in time. That's why I think that's why the NBA has really been so smart. There are only so many points. There's just probably in each individual's lifetime one time when you can have dramatic social change for the better, where any individual, because of the social media online world that we live in, 
can really contribute to making the country better. We are in the midst of one of those moments right now. And any of us, in particularly white people, but all of us have got to contribute and step up where we can to make this thing really stick and really happen faster. And like you said, it Roland, five weeks. All this has happened in five weeks. Think about what we can do the next five weeks. Well, this the is next five months. Yeah, this is what I call the third reconstruction. We had one from 1865 to 1877, another from 1954 to 1968. This is the third reconstruction, and we should, we should fix in this one what we knew didn't get fixed in the first two. Mark Cuban, great conversation. Wish we could chat more. Well, you're welcome to come back and roll them out on Filter anytime. Uh, I would love to get back to Dallas. Um, I have a house there. My parents live there uh, in my house with my sister and niece, my niece. But uh, I, I don't play with this COVID stuff. So uh, I, need, I, need, I need to tamp down in my home state before I come back. Wear a mask. That's all I can say. Wear a mask. Oh. They got mine right over there. Oh, no, no. We keep the mask right here. So we get, I, I, I got the Kente cloth mask. So, oh, wait, hold on, don't cut me off. Yeah. Of course, of course you, of course you got a Mavericks mask. So <laughs> I got, I got, I got to get my guys. I got to order me a Roland Martin unfiltered mask. Uh, Cause yeah, I'm, <laughs> trust me, I'm with you. It's always branding. Trust me. Always. All right, Mark Cuban, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for I loved it. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Terry Crews. That's all I got to say. Next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. All right, folks, my next guest constantly stays roasted on social media. In fact, if Comedy Central threw uh, a, a one of their celebrity roasts, it would probably take a week to hold it versus a couple of hours. Uh, this is the tweet I woke up to this morning that folks were all over. Terry Crews tweeted this out this morning. If you are a child of God, you are my brother and sister. I have family of every race, creed, and ideology. We must ensure Black Lives Matter. It doesn't morph into Black Lives Better. Lord, that set people off. Here are some of the uh, folks uh, who responded to Terry Crews. Y'all go ahead and pull those tweets up, please. Uh, do we have them? Okay. Uh, Bernice King, we're so far from that bridge, Terry. Black Lives Matter is in part a rallying cry and a protest slogan to galvanize people into doing the justice work needed to derail the deaths, dehumanization, and destruction of black lives that racism causes. Justice is not a competition. Next, please. Uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, another sleepless night thinking about Elijah McClain, and I woke up worrying about how to prevent my sweet special son from meeting a similar fate, and you woke up worried about checks, tweets, uh, tweet again, black lives better. We're aiming for equal, going back to sleep. Y'all got one more? Uh, Keith Boykin, in 1883, uh, Supreme Court claimed the Civil Rights Act will make black people the special favorite of the laws. In 2020, Terry Crews warned that Black Lives Matter will morph into Black Lives Better, demanding black equality is not black supremacy. Got one more? And D.L. Higley, I think Terry Crews must have flexed his pecs too hard and knocked something loose. Hashtag Team D.L. Terry Crews joins us right now. So, Terry, uh, hey. so you just, I mean, 
has your publicist just come drove, driven to the house and <laughs> stolen your phone? You know, uh, you got to understand, Roland, I've been getting this since I was 13 years old. Um, I had a lot of questions. I've always, always asked questions, and I was always told to shut up. Uh, I grew up in an all-black community in Flint, Michigan, the whole thing, and it was like, why are you talking like that? Why are you even questioning what is going on? And I have to. I have to. I, I, first of all, if I didn't question it, if I just took everything that anybody ever gave me, I'd still be in Flint. And the thing is, and I agree with Miss Bernice King, you know what I mean, that this is a bridge that's far, far away. But before this tweet, everybody told me it was impossible. You got to understand, what's so wild is that they, they feel like, and this is what I'm talking about, look, black supremacy and this moral superiority is something that people feel like can't happen in the black community. And I'm just here to say that, you know, I was watching the BET, or I didn't watch it. Actually, I heard about it because people were telling me about how, you know, I wasn't invited and the whole thing. And I just thought, man, because I have another view. Um, and I thought as a, a, a black people, we must be allowed to have other views. Another thing, even with Holly Robinson, she's bringing up Elijah McClain. First of all, me and Elijah McClain have so much in common. You know what I mean? I would have been this, you know, what they call a corny black nerd who tried to make everything happen and get along. And let me tell you something. What's so wild is that our community, you have to be one way. You have to be swinging and punching and fighting. And I'm not that dude. I've always been this corny dude who's asking tons of questions. And I want people to know it's okay. It's okay. And First of all, I love my people. I love Black Lives Matter. But I also, also feel at this moment in time, you, you mentioned this is like a third reconstruction, and that this reconstruction has to include every voice in America, the Native American, the Asian, the Hispanic, the, the white, the everybody has to be included. And what happens, though? is if you exclude these people and say, hey, you know what, this is our movement, this is our time. You know what happens? Resentment builds. And resentment really, really breeds a self-righteous, you know, it's kind of like a self-righteousness that's really, really dangerous, man. Yeah, first of all, can we have power? Well, all I'm saying is, in your mind, we are talking about social and economic and political answers to a spiritual problem. If we don't get this right now, spiritually, we are going to be all in this thing all over again, battling. And I don't want to go from one oppressor to the next. First of all, I was never scared of the KKK growing up. Never. You know what I was scared of? I was scared of that gang member. I was scared of that drug dealer. And I had to walk through to get to my school every day that I had to fight to get in and try to make it work. And let me tell you something. That's, that's millions and millions of black kids right now who scared to speak, scared to say what's up in their own community. But Terry, and I, I oh, go ahead, go ahead. But I don't but, want to interrupt you. No, no, <laughs> but, but, but here's the, what, what, what we're looking at. Um, in this moment, it's not that we don't bring others along. If we go back to the point of the, of the third reconstruction, the reality is ball don't lie. When you look at the economic numbers, when you look at the health numbers, 
coronavirus, COVID-19, has exposed the health inequities in this country, this country, the two systems. And so what we're dealing with right now is the fact that you have black folks and you now have white allies Ally. who are standing with black folks who are saying this stuff has to change. So it's not black supremacy. It's saying that we are so far down the economic ladder, the health ladder, the housing ladder, all the categories, that these things have to change, and white America is going to have to recognize that it's always been about them, and it can't keep being all about them. I totally agree with you there. But there's also the Booker T. Washington approach, where there are things that we know we have to correct. You understand what I mean? I think sometimes we as black people are more concerned with how we look as opposed to how we are. Are we healthy? Are we equal within our own community? Uh, do we take care of our women? Are we equal to the women in our, our, in our community? But those things do can happen at the same time, ahead, though. Please. Those things happen at the same time, though. I mean, the, re the reality is I, yeah. can, I, 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 can, I can be focused on raising my twin nieces, um, uh, making sure that they have the education, they have a shot at life, while I'm also fighting white supremacy. Those two things can happen. And so me doing that one thing doesn't negate what I'm doing over here with my nieces. Uh, excuse me, what I'm doing with my nieces doesn't negate what I'm fighting against white supremacy, but I'm sure as hell going to call out white supremacy when I see it, when I see the fact that you have uh, nearly $700 trillion of a federal pension fund and black investment folks are only managing $100 million of it. When I see what is happening when black, black folks, black companies are, are getting less than 3% of venture capital dollars. And what we're seeing is a system that where white folks are in control, we're talking about Hollywood as well, we're talking about news media, we're talking about Wall Street, and so that system has to change because it cannot stay the same if we're talking about equality. No, I, and I totally agree with you. First of all, Niels Bohr said, and this was the astrophysicist, he said, you know, sometimes uh, a profound, the opposite of a profound truth is not a lie you know, quite often, it's another profound truth. Two things can be true at the same time. I do not disagree with you right there. You can... I am fighting white supremacy. I have had guns pointed at me by the police. I have faced all kinds of discrimination. But what I am also saying is, at the same time, as a black man, I am looking at my own community, my own life. All we can do is what we can do on a personal level. Because what you're talking about is a whole giant, giant thing. But I think one at a time, with one person at a time, we can change this. First of all, COVID started with one man. And it went all the way around the world and stopped it. The same thing with a bad ideology and a good ideology. If we make sure, and, and listen, maybe I'm too soon. Like Bernice King said, hey, you know what? That's a bridge far, far away. Well, you know what? I called it. I see what could happen, and one man has to say it, and if that's going to be me, then that's okay. But we talk and about... I do not mind not being liked. But, I, I really don't. But... It's one of those things where, hey, man, this is... I've been hearing this since I was 13. I've been that corny cat who's been out on, the, out, out on the side, and everybody's like, oh, you ain't black anymore. Uh, you're Uncle Tom. I don't know anybody, any black person who's ever been successful that has not been called a sellout. But first of all, if you've ever taken a check from a white man, you're instantly a sellout. 
I'm sorry. If you're still getting your check from a white man, it's the system, okay? Sometimes you got to swim with the stream. You know what I mean? You can't swim against it. And all I'm saying is when I look at BET or look at all these, these things are owned by white people. Why are we, why are we pretending that we can't even speak on this stuff? So when you say, so when you say. I'm bringing up the conversation, and I love the fact that we can talk right now. So when you say black lives better, what does that mean? First of all, when I say this, you know what? The fact is, I'm called a coon a lot of times. So by other black people. Which, which, is also, and, which is also a word I do not allow to use on my oh, timeline. To me, that is a racial epitaph. Uh, that's, to me, that's the same as the N-word. Uh, yep, and I make it clear too. to people, I will block you if you use that because, for me, you can't be a conscious black person using the same language of white oppressors. But go ahead. But this is the thing, Roland. I'm speaking <coughs> on my social media. Right, right. I ain't going on ABC or NBC to do this. This is my Twitter. This is my private network. This is what I do. And I'm being told to shut up, be quiet, don't say anything, just keep it shut. And you're a coon, don't say anything. And, and this is the thing, some, it's really weird because I realize that some black lives matter more than others because they don't want me, as a black man, to talk because it's any bit of like, because you're gonna make us look bad. But the deal is, I don't care about what how we look. I care about how we are. We have to really examine these things within each other. We have all there's colorism going on. It's still the light skin, dark skin thing happening. And I'm trying to tell you, this is stuff that I have faced personally, and I just really am tired of of, of actually having to be quiet about it. And I love my people so much that I'm willing to risk it all. First of all, I face how everybody look. Love to say that, oh, well, he's trying to please the white man or whatever. I took on Hollywood by myself two years ago, all by myself. I spent a half a million dollars on my money. I'm still waiting for them checks from anybody else who said they supported me, because they didn't. And first of all, I and my wife, we all went up against Hollywood, and my career was over. It was done. And so I've risked it all once before. I'll do it again. I've been canceled for almost everything under the sun. I've been canceled for going to China by white men. I've been canceled by the LBGTQ community for talking about fatherhood. I've been canceled by many, many people for many, many reasons. This is the new day and era. You are going to be canceled. It's okay. If you have any opinion, it's, I'm sorry, somebody's not going to like it. But I would rather have the conversation in this new millennium so we can talk, we can really open it up, because this is the deal. If you can't reveal these things that are wrong, we can never get better. We'll always keep that little lacquer. I realized on my own life, if I did not, was not forthwith about my own issues, I couldn't improve. And this is what we have to do as a community and even as the United States. It's not, oh, look at Russia. No, we gotta look at us, you know what I mean? And the thing is, it's not all oh, look at that white man. No, look at this guy down the street who's terrorizing your neighborhood. I, I am one of those guys, and I'm black, and I can call it. You know you... what? I can say things white people can't say. And you know what? I can't even stop. The, what's so crazy is that I was repeated, and they put me on Fox News. I am not a Trump supporter. I am not. I will never go on Fox News. I am not. I am not for anything they are talking about. Okay, I'm not Republican. I, I'm not even into all of that. But the thing is, is that I do have a viewpoint. And when I can express my own viewpoint on my own social media and get told, stop it, pull the plug on them, 
I mean, what are you so scared of? I, like I said, I'm not on a, a, on a major network or whatever. I'm telling my own thing, and then I go to work and do what I do. So these are my opinions, and they're my own. Did you, and if you don't like them, that's okay. You, when you talked about what, how you've been canceled multiple times, um, when you comment, commented on the situation of Gabrielle Union, um, did you understand why people were so angry with you and felt you were not being supportive of her? Have, have, there been, have there been moments where you've given your opinion and you said, you know what, I screwed that one up? Well, you know what? First of all, if you look at most of my social media, you will know that I apologized to Gabrielle twice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First of all, twice. I'm the wrong man to ask about AGT because I do it for free. Let me say something, Roland. I love it. I have the best time. I oh, am oh, you said, hold on. You said, you said, hold on, hold on. You said, I what? would do it for free or I'm doing it for free. No, no, I would. I okay, would. gotcha. I'm, I'm not doing I, it for I, free. I just, but I, make, I just want to make, I'm like, I know you ain't working for free. I was no, like, no, okay, no, I got no, it. I, 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 would I, I just want to clarify that. Go ahead. But what I, but what I didn't realize, and because as a man, I have privilege. You know what I mean? I have a privilege that, you know, a big black man on a set is going to be treated differently than a black woman. And I did not count that in. I should have kept my mouth shut. I should have just not said anything. And I should have just said, ask Gabrielle. But you know, I was speaking from my experience. They asked me about what, how I felt. And I'm, I'm happy about the show, so I told it. And I had to, and then I responded in anger. You know, sometimes with Twitter and different things and different people come at you and they call you all kind of things. They were calling out my wife, calling her names, doing all this stuff. And then I got mad. And then you, it, that never works. And so I just totally had to revamp and apologize. And let me tell you, especially after the George Floyd murder, my whole thing was, man, we have to unite as a community and I have to apologize to her again just because I didn't recognize that male privilege that I have just being a man. And so um, that was my whole mindset. I am not above apologizing, but this is the new era. You are going, if you say anything, you're going to have to come back and be like, man, that's my bad. I have no problem saying I'm sorry. But what I'm talking about right now is, hey, yo, I, I have family members that are different races. I have you know, people that I call closer than a brother that are white, and that are Asian, that are Hispanic. And I'm going, hey, man, let's build this new world together. That's for real. And I, I, I haven't heard that. Maybe I'm not listening hard enough, but I am totally, totally with Black Lives Matter and a totally against the murder of our people. You, you spoke about cancel culture. And you, you spoke about um, when your LGBT critics came after you, speaking about fatherhood, black fatherhood. Um, do you believe that, just like with just like with the issue, because trust me, I'm looking at my Instagram page, people are like, don't have him on, he's horrible, and sort of stuff along those yep. lines. And bottom line is, I've, I've, I've had, I've debated white supremacists, I've had Dinesh D'Souza, I'm not scared to have anybody on the show. Um... But, but, but do you think that part of the issue is that um, we don't create space for divergent viewpoints? So, for instance, um, when, when you mention the fatherhood piece, I mean, the reality is um, there are people who have this view when it comes to 
male, female. Fatherhood, fathers matter. Then, of course, you have folks who are LGBT who say you can have two, you can have two mothers, you can have two, two dads. Um, when that happened, did you feel as if they were silencing you as a man who is heterosexual, who has children, who grew up seeing fathers and mothers? Did you, did you feel that that was an attempt to silence you from speaking about your own personal truth? I did. Um, I also felt like, you know, I was speaking specifically to the black community um, and the issues that I seen, and even in my own house. My father was very abusive. My father beat my mother senseless, okay? I'm talking about, and you gotta understand, that when I talk about fatherhood, it's something that I always desired and what I knew I was missing. You understand what I mean? And I was really reaching out to people who understood what I was talking about. But then you got, with social media, you have other groups that don't have any clue that can come in and just start taking it over. And I was like, I never said same-sex couples can't successfully raise a child. I never said that. They can. That's what, I, what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the good that a father can bring to his family. I know what I mean to my kids. I know what father figures have meant to me. And this is what I'm saying. It was, this is a personal move, but what happens is you go on your own social media and everybody's like, hey, man, you're on ABC. I'm like, no, but that's... I could say this is a personal point that I'm making. And, and what happens is they want you to shut up, but they get to keep talking. And this is America. I'm sorry. It's America. There's a lot of people who don't want me to talk. But I, I want to even mention this. You know, the fact is, uh, is this black supremacy thing was a quote from MLK. MLK said it himself in two different speeches, one in 1960 and one in 1961. And another time when Elijah Muhammad from the NOI in January 1961 met with the head of Ku Klux Klan in Atlanta so that they could agree on their differences. Let me tell you something, man. I don't know what to tell you, but if you got one group, supremacist group, meet with another supremacist group, I'm trying to tell you it's dangerous. It's dangerous. I am saying we have to look at what can happen, what can grow, and because everything can become extreme. Every movement that has started well has can move into a very, very extreme thing. But, you can but, have a church, so, but, but, and then but, but, all of a sudden, but, 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 they flip out in Guyana, and they're drinking Kool-Aid. Yeah, but uh, but uh, but are you seeing that right now? I mean, I mean, like, what's the evidence of that? I mean, the reality is what what I am seeing. And again, when I say I'm seeing it, literally, Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington D.C. is right outside these doors. I can take 25 steps, and I am literally standing on it right here in D.C. And so what you're describing, where's that? But where's that happening? I mean, I, I don't... I, don't I, I haven't seen it. Where's it happening? No, no, no. Listen, first of all, you may not have seen it, but I, in my social media, in my world, I get called out all the time, Roland. I, it's like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you at the march? Why aren't you standing here? You know what, brother? You ain't standing for us. You ain't doing this for us. And, you know, this is what... I'm sitting here like... There's this public shaming that constantly, constantly is on you. They're like, what did you give for here? You know, Flint still ain't got clean water. You're supposed to take care of all the problems of everybody at the same time, and you start to hear it, and then when you say something back, they're like, it's never enough. You are not black enough. Now, Roland, I'm, I don't know what else to say. I'm talking mainly 
about our community and what the way we deal with each other, but, but, that but, we but, can't but, have these open conversations. But, but it's still, though, but if that's the but, case, I mean, here's all I'm saying. It, if, 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 there, if there, for me, was evidence of that, and I get, first of all, Twitter is not America. Right. That is a small slice. And you got trolls, you got bots, and look, dude, I got a show that's targeting black people. And I got black people saying it's not black. I got people telling me that I'm picking up checks from the white man when I pay white people. Like, so I, I, I laugh at it, but what I don't do is I don't internalize it and lash out. I laugh at them. And if somebody tells me that I'm not doing enough for my people, my response actually is, y'all kiss my ass. <laughs> but I but 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 so but I don't but I don't necessarily see in this moment right now where you have black supremacy reigning, what I actually see are black folks who are seeing white allies who are saying, yo, for, we, we now can actually change this. And so I think that's why a lot of people are like, Terry, what the hell? What are you talking I, I, about? I, I totally agree. First of all, you're not seeing it. You're not seeing it. I totally understand. But what I am saying, and hear me, all these are warnings. And look, it's too soon. Yes, it's too soon. But my thing is, is that I've been, well, you know, there's very, very fine line between culture and a cult. And I realized that there are things that I can say and I'm immediately told to be quiet about because you're going to ruin something. And I'm going, wait a minute, I'm just warning about, because some people want the voice, Roland, that's just the truth. And I'm sitting here like, hey, man, I'm looking far, far ahead. Just like Bernie said, it's a bridge far ahead. And like I said, if I was too early, then I'll be the guy to, to claim I was way too early. I'm not seeing it either, but that I just want, it does not mean it cannot happen because I was told it can't exist. Like, it will never happen in America. You can't have it. And I'm here to tell you, in places like Cambodia, in places like Rwanda, in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge killed people because they wore glasses. And I'm just trying to say, once you get to a point where you have to be all one way and no one can have a dissenting opinion, it's very dangerous, Roland. It's just too dangerous, man. We, we as black people only have one voice. I mentioned this on the talk. As white people, they can be Republican, Libertarian, Democrat. They can do whatever they want. But us, you can't even have, you better not, you better like the same hip hop I like or you ain't even black. And I'm going, hey, man, this is dangerous, dude. There's so there's a new generation that's coming up that really want to explore everything. I've been told everything since I was a, you can't ride horses. Black people don't do that. You can't do this because black people don't do that. And I'm, I'm really done with that. I think we can do anything we want to do. Yeah, but do. here's the deal, though. I mean, the real, I mean first of all, I mean, look, we, 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 we often say that. I mean, we say when, when someone says that black people don't do, that typically is based right. upon our experiences. And so... Uh, we've all done that. We said, man, black folks, man, we don't swim. Yes, there are black people who swim, but it's 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 a figure of speech. Uh, there are some things that you don't see a lot of black people doing. Look, I've been playing golf for 30 years, and in all 30 years, but like, man, black folks don't play golf. And I'm like, nah, brother, they've been the golf team. Uh, and and you have this long history of black golfers. And so for me, for me, I don't I don't necessarily 
Again, I, I understand where that's coming from, and I understand that, in many ways, that, that's somewhat of a figure of speech. But I, but I do, but I do think this, and that because as somebody who, who, who uses words, as somebody who understands that words can be a weapon to fight for or to fight against, words can also liberate. I think part of this issue, to be perfectly frank, is that the social media platform doesn't actually properly allow for discourse in that when you type something, a hundred people could be in this room right now and read that, and there could be 80 different interpretations of that. But if I hear someone say something, I'm listening to tone. I'm listening to, are they being sarcastic? Are they being funny? Are they being serious? Are they being angry? And you actually have the ability to explain something. That, to me, I think is sort of how I often see when I see a tweet. Because when I saw your tweet, my first response wasn't, Terry Crews ain't shit. My first response was, what is he talking about? Which then causes, which means I then need you to explain it, which then may cause me to ask a second question. That's what I think the problem is, is that you say something, and it's a short statement, and you know in your mind what you mean, but another person is inferring it in a totally different way, and there's there's no tone, there's there's nothing there. It's just the words just sort of sitting there, and it's left up to interpretation. That's right. And that's, this is the new era. It's the new day. I mean, everything can be taken out of context, which is so nuts. But do we stop talking? And I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to just, you know, just be quiet and shut up. No, no, no. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think you should be quiet. Here's what I think Terry should do. Okay. (laughs) Terry should make videos. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm serious. You know I'm being yeah. serious. Yeah. First of all, Twitter, yeah. Twitter allows for you if you upload it at studio.twitter.com. It allows yeah. for you to actually upload up to 10 minutes of video. I, I just think that a tweet, I think a tweet, few words, it causes somebody to say, "What? What yeah. is he talking about?" Versus, yeah. now here's the deal. You might do a video and folks are like. Ted Cruz still ain't shit. <laughs> still, but 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 it, you, it allows for you to expound on it, as opposed to it just sort of sitting there, and 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 that to me is, is what stands out. Because again, you can have people can inf- people can infer any way they want to, and it can be all different meanings. And you're the author going, no, that none of that was actually what I meant. Right. Well, because it was sort of left there. You know, Roland, I just want to say, man, that, first of all, I love my people. I love black people. I love who we are. I love what we've been through. I know what we've been through. I, I, I have been the victim of many, many racist, uh, taunts. You know, like I said, I've had guns pointed at me by the police. And so I, I could have been George Floyd or uh, Elijah McClain. And when I look at this stuff, I am sitting here saying, listen, we have a tremendous opportunity right now as a people that we, if, and this is another thing I learned from therapy, a lot, a lot of therapy, 
is that forgiveness is the only way to move past, okay? And I know, see, even talking forgiveness is real early right now. It is. It's, it's really early. Oh, yeah. But no, and look, no, and I, you know, right, because here's the whole deal. Yeah. Okay, my problem with the forgiveness conversation, <clears throat> we saw that with Mother Emanuel. White folks always want us to forgive real quick. Right. They still pissed off with 9 11. Totally. So, so my whole deal is don't come to me asking for forgiveness when y'all still mad at what the hell the Iranians did in Tehran <laughs> in 1979, but y'all totally ignoring when we overthrew Iran and most of day in 1954. So don't be I pissed did. off at them with 79 if you can't realize why they still pissed about 54. But I digress. Go on ahead. No, no, no. I, first of all, I understand. I understand. Uh, but I almost ruined my own life by not forgiving. I mean, I could be in jail instantly. First of all, if I'd have hit that white man that molested me, I'd have been in jail. You understand what I'm saying? That was years of therapy that allowed me to walk away from something like that. Right. You, better okay? than, you better than me, because I would have clocked his ass. I, uh, listen, man. I, I'm all, just being, I mean... I'm trying to tell you it was a miracle from heaven, because I could have killed him, and I wanted to. But I'm trying to tell you, I wouldn't be standing here talking you, to you today, Roland. That's the thing, man. There's so many things. Hey, man, I'm glad I can be canceled. Because I, I, uh, the other way, I'm in jail. You know what I'm saying? So which one do you want? I'd rather have this. I'd rather say, OK, you know what? Then, I, I, all right, uh, maybe my voice is too big and I just got to calm it down. And maybe I should talk in another medium. That might, I love that suggestion. Because again, things are too, too expansive for Twitter and the whole thing, but I, have to say, I'm not afraid. Right. I am not afraid of speaking. I'm not afraid. Sometimes you just gotta, uh, you know, you gotta stand up. Right. And and, and if people don't understand, I, this is why I'm on this show right now to explain it even further. I, I do have to ask you this. This is the final question. Yeah. And I and I keep seeing this, folks. Are like, terror's in the terror's in the sunken place. So <laughs> so, so when you hear that. When you hear that, how does that make you feel? That that this, this notion that that you are just in a whole other world and it's confusing. You know, my feelings are hurt. Again, I, I have a broken heart. It's okay. Uh, you know, there are family members I don't talk to anymore. I mean, it's lonely when you are trying to do something that oh, no one's oh, done hold before. Up. Are there family members? I mean, because of this, because of comments you made, there are family members who won't talk to you. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Um, and but but there are another thing you have to realize is that you have to be willing to just live your life. This is the thing. You cannot control someone and love them at the same time. If you are trying to control what I say, you are not loving me. Okay? I listen, Roland, you can say whatever you want. Hey man, I love you, bro. If you said something that I didn't agree with, I'm like, I love you. But it's when I say something you don't agree with, and now you uh, you hate me. I'm going wow. So you're trying to control me, and that is what I'm saying. Love and control can't exist. I love my people. You can say whatever you want, but I gotta be able to say what I want too, and we still gotta love each other. But now, I'm getting control. I'm getting shut up. Don't say nothing. Sit there. You should have sat there and ate your food. Hey, I see it all. And, but I'm not going to be controlled. I'm going to operate in love, and I'm going to continue to love you, and those that love me will understand. 
Well, Terry Cruz, I appreciate you uh, accepting my text and agreeing to come on the show. It's all about, I mean, look, whether we agree, whether we disagree, uh, it's important for us, I think, to talk, to explain these things out. Folks got a chance to hear you for um, uh, about 40 minutes uh, to hear your Thank perspective. You and so we appreciate it. Tell your wife I said hello uh, um, and stay safe in this, this COVID-19 world. Love you, brother. Thank you, sir. Terry Cruz, thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is it for us. Before we go, we want you to please to support us at Roland Martin Unfiltered. Look at the conversation we had today, the Fritz Pollard Alliance, uh, this conversation we had. Of course, Terry Cruz, Mark Cuban. This is about creating a space that black people own, operate, and control. The Louis Farrakhan conversation about uh, Fox Soul as well. We need your support, folks, to keep doing this. Of course, you can pull it up. We got nearly 7,000 of you watching right now uh, on uh, our uh, YouTube channel. Uh, look, I mean, if every single one of you right now, and I just want to put it in perspective, if, if, if right now if, uh, it's another 1,000 uh, on Facebook. So let's say it's 8,000. If 8,000 of you decided right now to join our Bring the Funk fan club and gave 50 bucks, which is what we're asking for, that's for the whole year, for all the 19 cents a month, that's that's uh, 16 cents a day. That's $400,000. That would literally pay for almost half of the year of this show. We're doing this because we don't want to ask anybody else for permission to tell our story. Support us via Cash App, dollar sign, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash RMartin Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, New Vision Media, you want to send, um, send a uh, money order, cashier's check, New Vision Media Inc. as the parent company, 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Uh, that's uh, the address again, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, 2006. Please be sure to make the money order out to New Vision Media, the parent company, folks. Um, this is this is so important in the world that we're living in because our voices, look, mainstream media, they're going to go back to covering what Trump said, what Biden said, who tweeted what. They're going to do that. We have to ensure that we have places where we can share our stories, talk to our people, have our guests. That's why we do what we do. And here's the deal. This ain't black targeted. This is black owned. I want to give a shout out to the people who, who join our Brina Funk fan club. Everybody who gives 50 bucks or more gets a personal shout out. And so I want to shout out Addie Zachary, Albert Payne, Aletha Garrett, Alvin Goodwin Jr., Amanda Davis, Angela Dotson, Angela Young, Anthony Combs, Anthony McMillan, Anthony Rivers, Ashton J. Hartwick, Athelene King, Aya Anelli International, Barbara Jeffries, Best to Succeed, Bruce Poinsett, Carla Renee Perkins, Carol, Carol Jackson, Carolyn Holloway, Casey Pitts, Catherine Smith, Christopher, Christopher Harris, Claudia Ware, Corey Jones, CTW Living LLC, Cynthia Wright, Dad I Designs, Damon Williams, Daniel and Sarah Dotson, Daphne Curtis, Darren Broadway, Deborah Slaughter, Deidre Langford, Denise Stewart, Denise Woodard, Denora Williams, Deshondra Edwards, Davida Thurman, Diane Davis, Diane McSwine, Dion uh, Brown, Don Black, Doris Moore, Dr. Daphne Davis, Edward Gaines, Elise, Elisa Van, Elmer Mahan, 
Ann, Emmett uh, Hill, Eric, Eric B., Eunice Powell, Eva C. Smith, Jean E. Lang, George Kirkwood, Henry Shelby Jr., Herman Chandler, Holistic Coaching, H.W. Woodson, Isaiah Clark, James Goodlock, James Harp, James Render, Jerron Cunningham, Jamal Warren, uh, Jerry Harper, Jerry Knox, Jessica Fields. Leave the graphic up, please. Uh, um, Jessica Fields, Jill Hendricks, Joanne Greer, John Hodge, John Pete, Johnny Rice, Johnny Stovall, Joseph Mitchell, Joseph Montgomery, Juanita Butcher, Karen Silas. Uh, also, Kev Bro, Kimberly Jenkins Snodgrass, Labani Cavanis. That ring you're hearing of people actually donating right now on Venmo. And so every time you hear that ring, that's somebody on Venmo on my phone. Uh, let's see here. Labani Cavanis, Land Communications Group, Larsenia Dixon, LaRon Green, Leroy Shabazz, LaShawn Willis, Lavelle Coleman, Leonard Bright, Leroy and Barbara Sutton, Linda Brown, Lloyd Harris, Love to Praise Ministries, Marcus Turner, Marsha Harris Gray, Maxine, Michael Ricks, Michael Williams, Michael Young, Miranda Queen, Mitchell, Monet Jones, Moody Environmental and Consulting LLC, Nalbert Nolan, Natanya Baldwin, Nicholas Winder, Oren Jeffries, Palace Langford, Patricia Skipworth, Paula Davis, Paula Gilliam, Pearly A. McFadden, Philip Neely, Radifa Zalzala, Redemptive Health Inc., Richard Dunbar, Robert Osbrook Jr., Robert E. Hellman, Roger Daniels Jr., Rosalind Hayes Robinson, S.A. Strouder, Sahira Threats, Sharon Letman Hicks, Shauna Yeldell, Soraya Powell, Tamra Harrell, Tammy L. Clark, Tammy Watson, Travis Kendrick, Trisha Hankerson, Ursula, Valerie Carter, Vernon Saunders, Victoria McCullough, Wanda Bright, and William Benjamin. I need some water after all of that. So please, folks, uh, support what we do. Again, this is about having a space that is ours. Uh, you see here, I want y'all to, uh, to do something real quick. Give me a wide shot. I want you to understand what your support uh, is going to. So here's what's about to happen. Friday, uh, we're going to be having our lighting director, Black-owned lighting company. So we're completely putting in all new lights uh, to have to better light uh, our set. I told you this set was built by a Black-owned set design company. Uh, of course, the artwork down there is by Leroy Campbell, a black artist. You can go online to get Leroy's work as well. So that's what we do. We're going to also be completely rewiring our control room. Uh, and so we're putting in, you know, all kinds of new equipment because we want to elevate this show uh, more than where we are now because we're getting geared up for the election. That's why we do what we do. So we need your support. If y'all say, man, why you big? You can call it whatever you want to call it. But here's what I know. Fox News generates more than a billion, $1.3 billion. CNN, $880 million. MSNBC, $700 million. The Today Show alone generates in excess of five to $600 million for NBC. These are folks who are well-funded. PragerU, y'all see Candace Owens running around? Billionaires out of Texas gave them $7 million to start. They raised $22 million their first year, $25 billion their second year. Daily Caller, Daily Wire, Daily Signal, all funded by rich conservative billionaires. Ain't no liberal, there's no white, there's no black billionaire, no millionaire funding this show. That's why it matters. And so uh, we want to be sure to give you perspective. Tomorrow, you heard me talk about this with Mark Cuban. I'm a breakdown tomorrow. I'm not satisfied. 
this whole thing that we're seeing happening right now with the money is going out and break down why we must be having a we need to have a far more aggressive strategy Thursday one hour special on the one year anniversary of the hair crown act that makes it, it makes it uh, illegal to discriminate against a person's hair we're going to have a great conversation uh, right here on the show. And Friday, one hour, me and Dr. Cornell West right here on Roller Mart Unfiltered. That's why you got to support this show. Ain't nobody doing what we do live five days a week, streaming seven days a week. I'll see y'all tomorrow. Mark Cuban, Terry Crews, thanks a bunch. Harry Carson, my panel, Rod Graves, thanks a bunch. I'll see y'all tomorrow. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.